Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Le Beaujeu, the official League and podcast with myself, Robbie Thompson, back in the host seat after missing the first two since the World Cup. But it is great to be back. And even though there wasn't any League and football over the weekend, we're going to sink our teeth deep into the Coupe de France because it was the round of 64, or as the French like to confusingly call it, the round of 32 matches that took place on the weekend, it was the introduction of the Ligue 1 teams into the draw and uh, for all the action and to get involved with us and get involved with the conversation as well. Don't forget to check out our Twitter, League 1 World, League 1 underscore English. There's the website, league1.com. And of course, get involved with us, send us and myself, Robbie Thompson, and our guests, our experts, our commentators. Any questions you like about French football, French culture to League One Podcast at gmail.com. We've got plenty coming up. We've got the Coupe de France. We've got the Deja Who with your chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey as well. We're also going to talk a little bit about transfers and look ahead to two full rounds of matches of Ligue 1 on this week where the president of the French Football Federation, Noel Legrette, announced on radio in an interview having just re-signed Didier Deschamps as coach of Les Bleus for another three years that if Zinedine Zidane telephoned him, he wouldn't even bother picking up the phone. I'm very pleased to say that two gentlemen that did answer the phone when I called, Andy Scott and Ian Holyman, <laughs> have joined us for this one. <laughs> gentlemen, it's all sorts of trouble at the FFF. We can't beat around the bush. Kylian Mbappe's come out and said, "What? how can you talk like this? Uh, and I've only got glowing things to say about the two of you. So so thank you for joining Pleasure. us. Pleasure. Hey, you're welcome. I had nothing better to do, Robbie, to be honest. So uh, that's, it was, <laughs> I just needed to fill the time before I get a train. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure you don't miss that train. Andy, how was your French Cup weekend? Yeah, it was good. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, I mean, uh, you were you were talking to us before about going on twenty kilometer walks uh, along the Australian coast. I can say that um, Bondoufle in the Paris suburbs, where I was on Saturday watching Lens, could not be more different. I might as well have been on a different planet. It was it was great. It was wet. It was windy, uh, and it was not particularly scenic, but it, it was good fun all the same. Well, it's always nice here. When I was just going to say, if I'd been wearing wearing roller skates in Lyon. I could have been just like I could have just stood there and 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 been driven by the wind for across twenty kilometers because it was so cold. Well, look, we I can't just say that the weather's been like paradise here. We've had an awful lot of rain, as we have had over over the last year and a half. And there's something nice about waking up early on a on a weekend morning and and flicking on the computer and seeing the the Coupe de France action from the other side of the world and knowing that you're going to have a beautiful day ahead of you to uh, to look forward to. The, th the thing is, Robbie, the thing is, Robbie, that I, I know Ian made a joke uh, on last week's podcast, which I listened to on my walk from Orangis Bois de Lépine RER station to the, the stadium in Bondouf. And uh, he made a joke about, about 
about this being the the the, the official league and weather channel and so I, I don't want to linger too long on the weather but it, it is worth pointing out that it's not actually been as cold this year as it usually is at the beginning of January it's been unseasonably mild in France in fact it was 16 degrees on New Year's Eve it was wonderful albeit you know if you if you leave aside all concerns about climate change but uh, for some reason even even with it being relatively mild for the time of year, in the stadium in Bondoufle, in the Paris suburbs where I was on Saturday, it was still absolutely freezing. I don't know how that could be the case. As soon as I left the stadium, it was okay. But just up on the gantry, it was so, so cold. So, so cold. Goodness me. Yeah, I was going to say, Andy, that's, that's a fair point. This may conjure up a mental image that you may want to remove and, and, and may not be able to. But I didn't even have to wear long johns <laughs> in Lyon. I mean, that was... Well, that's that, not that right. That's something. not that's not right. Round of sixty fours, from my memory, are always long johns and thermal underwear and running up and down. Like you said, <laughs> Ian, I've done that as well. Running up and down the the stadium stairs at halftime and before the game yeah. to try and get your heart beating. I mean, I've I've to, I've told the I've told the story <laughs> to, to to Ian just the other day, so I apologise for repeating myself to Ian. But not a last sixty four cup tie, but a few years ago, I was in Nantes. Uh, in the, for a quarter-final cup tie between Les Herbiers, the third division team who got to the final in 2018, were playing Lens in the quarter-final in, in February, and it was absolutely freezing. It was a nil-nil draw after extra time. It went to penalties. It was so, so cold that my bottle of water, which, uh, which the production team had very helpfully given me, froze. It was sitting there next to me, and the bottle of water froze. It was so, so cold, and I, I just... It was it was so difficult to get through that evening. No goals, all the way to extra time and penalties, and I will never forget that. So I don't think anything will top that. But but there's something about the charm of the Coupe de France where it is just always cold. People people don't appreciate just how hard it is to commentate football matches and and our and our job, huh? Travelling around the, the the French countryside and and, <laughs> and and another thing I will add because we talk about Bondoufle and, and Les Herbiers, <laughs> the Coupe de France, the Coupe de France, the French Cup. Is and I, I was having a look at the stats earlier because we had our Australian Cup um, at the start of the season here, and I was looking at the number of teams um, that enter the Australian Cup because here we say it's the the cup that unites the pyramid because we have a closed league. We you, there's no promotion relegation from from the A League, the first division. So this cup competition is a chance for for outside of the A League to mix it with the with the top strata, if you like. And I and so I went into it to have a look. So to start with Australia Cup, 750 teams enter the Australian Cup, so full amateur clubs. The English FA Cup, 730 or 732 clubs enter the FA Cup, this famous FA Cup where, you know, all the upsets and magic of the cup. In France, this season, 8,506, more than... 12 times as many clubs as in enter the FA Cup. And that's how you get a Linus Montlhéry. You get a Les Herbiers. Um, we've got some amazing results that we had over the weekend for clubs that have made it this far. There's a chance that there will be a sixth division team playing against Paris Saint-Germain on the weekend of the, the 21st, 22nd. Um, if that happens, Le Puy de, de Cassis. I think it was, or or some tiny regional team, which really would be not even part timers, just pure amateurs. The local, the literally the local football team could be taking on Paris Saint Germain in in the round of thirty two. I mean that that is spectacular. And if you look at others in Italy, the Coppa Italia that we see and and hear so much about every year, forty four teams 
take part in the Coppa Italia. Um, 120 in Spain, 126 in Germany, 64. So the French Cup, if there's ever going to be a cup that you want to talk about that embodies the beauty of football and, and the, the, the part-timers, the, the minnows with the chance to go all the way, this really is uh, that competition. So there you go. Gentlemen, any comment about that? I was just going to say I wholeheartedly agree. It's a, it's a, it's a point I made in the commentary uh, during, during my Leon uh, Mets game on, on Saturday. Just incredible the number of the number of shock results, the number of lower lower league teams, and not even lower league. I mean, they're they're almost off the scale. Fourth division, fifth division, sixth division, as you said, who come through and get into the later stages of the competition, get into the later stages, get into the final. I was mentioning it because Cavi uh, Rouen, who were in the third division, um, who were up just not far away from where I live. Um, made the final in 2012. I mean, as, as Andy said, Les Herbiers, who got to the final, I mean, they, it, you're talking, it's pretty much village teams getting to the Coupe de France final. It's, it, it's incredible. Absolutely. It is unbelievable how often it happens as well. I think Calais were one of the first, but we've had second division, we've had third division sides all the time in, in the final. We had six more Ligue 1 clubs bundled out at the round of 64 here, there were some huge upsets. Montpellier are gone. Clermont lost to... Uh, and this is another interesting thing about French football, just very quickly. We'll go through the results, more or less. But FC Olympic Strasbourg, Königshofen, 1906. Now, in France, you like to reduce the names of a club to just the initials, like Lille Olympic Sporting Club is just LOSC, L-O-S-C, PSG for Paris Saint-Germain. OM and OL, I mean, that's how they are known in France, as L'OM and L'OL. Um, so this one is FCOSK06, <laughs> which is a, a spectacular, uh, <laughs> get that, stitch that into your logo. <laughs> it's basically a full name. What's interesting is that with Strasbourg went out on, on Friday, a game that I commentated uh, on penalties to Angers. So a, a big thing for Angers in terms of their confidence boost. and. Um, Mess went out to Lyon earlier on Saturday. So I think it's fifth division. Uh the fifth division side, F Kosk yep. 06. They uh they're the only they're the only side from the region still left in the competition. Incredible, incredible result. They knocked out Clermont Foot, who are doing very well in Ligue 1 this season. Monaco knocked got knocked out by Rodez, and it was one of their old boys that uh equalized late on. Eamon Abdenor. So a, a blast from the past for, for, for Monaco fans coming back to haunt them. Uh, and who else? There was Nice were knocked out as well by another a, a third yeah. division club, Le Puy-en-Velay. Um, not so much an upset, really, looking at, looking at some of the upsets that we have had. But uh, there must be pressure on Lucien Favre as well. Well, interesting point in that one, Robbie, is, is that the assistant coach of Le Puy-en-Velay is Florent Balmont, former Nice midfielder. Um, Former Lille midfielder as well, yeah. started his career at, at, at Lyon, didn't make it there, really made his reputation at, at Nice. But uh, just as you said, to come on to Lucien Favre, uh, pressure? Wow. I mean, that's got to be almost at, almost at breaking point, surely now, hasn't it? There, were, there was some talk that we could have Didier Digard taking over the reins in a, in a, in a caretaker role. I mean, I don't know. Should you stick with? With 
with Lucien Favre if, if Didier Digar is is your other option? I mean, he was a player that once played for Paris Saint-Germain, of course. He was a, a France youth international, but he's returned to the club. But Nice, I mean, well, we can talk all day about Nice. We spoke a lot about them last week on the on the podcast as well. But that a club that are recruiting off the pitch, recruiting within the structure of the club, but just can't seem to get it right on the club. And this is a third season now of, of bringing in big names. You can take it back to the previous owners as well, who tried it as well under, under Chinese ownership of the, of the club before Ineos took over. But they're a club that have had a lot of money thrown at them in, in recent seasons and are just doing nothing with it. Um, it's got to be frustrating if you're a Nice fan. But we're here to talk about the Cup. Um, there were some big upset results, but there were also some solid results for Ligue 1 clubs. Toulouse got a much-needed 7-1 win over a, over a fourth-division side. Uh, Lorient got up over a fifth-division amateur village side, La Châtaigneraie, um, from Vendée, six goals to nil. Uh, Lille were too strong for Australian coach Trois by two goals to nil in an all-Ligue 1 clash. Rennes got up over Bordeaux. Interesting watching that one. Bordeaux, who we don't pay too much attention to at, at the moment, um, now that they're back in Ligue 2, but still some of their big names there. Ellis is there. Madger still going. He was on the score sheet again, the Englishman, uh, Josh Madger, for, for them. Andy, you had a couple of games. Let's talk about the big guns, Paris Saint-Germain, because they're, a few of them were off watching the basketball in America, of course. Um <laughs> But there were enough there that hung around to uh, get the win over Chateau Roux, Le Berrichon. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a great occasion actually because uh, Chateau Roux are quite a, a a famous club in France. I know they're in the third division, but they're a club with a history. Uh, they might be struggling now, but they're under Saudi ownership, so that's uh, that's one interesting strand to it. The same owner as 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 um, as of Sheffield United in English Championship is the owner of Chateau They've got some relatively big-name players for their level as a result. Nolan Roux, for example, who um, played in the Champions League with Lille not so long ago, who was joking with Christophe Galtier, the PSG coach, before the game because he played under Galtier at Saint-Étienne for a couple of seasons as well. So um, one or two well-known players in their team and a club who were in the final of the Coupe de France against PSG uh, this century back in 2004. Uh, so they've got a bit of history to them. Uh, so great crowd at that game, 14,000 sellout and uh, PSG rocking up without any of the, the big name front three. You said, you mentioned Killian, who was off with uh, Ashraf Hakimi in, in New York watching the NBA. Uh, Neymar was left behind in Paris to get some treatment on his ankle. Apparently now he needed treatment on his ankle, which he hurt at the World Cup and not 10 days ago when he was playing against Strasbourg and getting sent off. Uh, Lionel Messi wasn't involved because he only returned to training on Wednesday, after a couple of weeks off um, following the World Cup, and and, and Chateau were, they made it clear they were very disappointed that none of those none of those superstars uh, were involved in the game. They hoped that at least one of them would play, but you can understand from Christophe Galtier's perspective, it's a chance to give some of the the, the so-called fringe players an opportunity, and they got the job done. Um, but they needed a couple of late goals to come through three-one with about fifteen minutes to go. We were heading towards penalties, and I was beginning to think, well, this would be a monumental uh, upset if PSG were to be knocked out here in, in a penalty shootout. It's worth saying on PSG in the Cup. I know they are the most powerful team in the land uh, by a long, long way, but their Cup record is still um, still, you know, still worth offing your cap to, to PSG for the fact that they won, they'd won the Cup six times in seven seasons 
before last year when they were knocked out by Christophe Galtier's Nice on penalties in the last 16. Uh, and then, of course, they lost the 2019 final on penalties to Rennes. So they haven't actually lost a game in the Cup in 90 minutes since 2014, which is a pretty remarkable statistic. And they came through this one in the end with um, with the late goals from Carlos Soler and then Juan Bernat in stoppage time. But I think that, I mean, I know Christophe Galtier can, can say, well, we got the job done. That's the most important thing. But I mean, Andreas, when, when I was listening to to the podcast on my walk to the stadium on Saturday for the last game, uh, I thought he made quite an, an interesting point about PSG Andreas Evagor on this podcast last week, saying that they're very lightweight in midfield. And that is an issue which which was a problem against Chateauroux uh, on Friday evening, uh, albeit without Marco Verratti playing. But when it comes to the really big games in the next few weeks, and obviously we're thinking about Bayern Munich in the Champions League, the first leg of which is on the 14th of February, so just over a month away, they need to beef up that midfield. And I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I mean, you look at the way they've started the season, obviously Verratti is 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 going to play as long as he's not suspended. Um, Vitinha has been very impressive for them since arriving in the summer. Um, on Friday evening, it was Vitinha with a couple of youngsters, Ismail Garbi and uh, Warren Zaire Emery. Now, they're not going to be playing regularly in, in the weeks ahead, but that is an issue for PSG very clearly as is, of course, the fact that they have um, a lack of options in defence, which was again exposed on Friday. I mean, Nordi Mukiele uh, took a bit of a nasty knock early on. It looked like Sergio Ramos was going to be coming on because he was on the bench. He had El Shaddai, Bichiabu and uh, Marquinhos in central defence. They haven't really got any other options. I mean, President El Kimpembe is still a few weeks away from returning from his Achilles problem, which kept him out of the World Cup. So... You know, do they make a move in the January window? A lot of things were exposed in, in that game, I thought. And yes, they, they got the result, but um, it just shows you how, how much they, for all, for all they have, uh, great talent throughout their squad. Of course, they're very dependent on those three attacking players. Ian, that when you look at that squad and you see that when they make changes like that, that it doesn't just happen, that it's not an easy walk in the park against a, against a third division side. And those those youngsters that Andy mentioned are are clearly all very talented youngsters. I think Warren Zaire Emery became the youngest ever starter for for PSG in the game. El Shadal Bichiabu is a, a a man mountain, a very talented defender, mobile and an absolute giant. Uh, Garvey's already a Spanish youth international. He'll he'll get to choose his future later. And there are also a, a host of these young kids, you know, spattered around. France and Europe, these young players who are, who have left the club because they didn't get their their look in. But surely, and 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 I, when I was there, I saw and heard all these discussions, you know, of like we're Paris Saint Germain buy five midfielders and yet none of them are any good. We can't, you know, the club looks lightweight and 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 at the back, surely a, a, other clubs around the world would be happy to have. You know, Mukiele, who can cover in the centre of defence, Marquinhos, Kimpembe, um, Sergio Ramos, and then a youngster like Bichiabu coming through. What is it about the pressure at Paris Saint-Germain that when Fabian Ruiz arrives, he doesn't suddenly is not, is not any good, that Carlos Soler is suddenly not not good enough for Paris Saint-Germain when they arrive with, with big raps? And, it, and it, it's a recurrent theme. I mean, we called it the, the Doom number four shirt for a while. After Milan Bisevac, I mean, you had Krakowiak, you had Tilo Kerrer, you had a, a, a series of players that that had the number four shirt, and no matter how good they were when they arrived and the reputation they had, they couldn't make it work. Now Sergio Ramos has been uh, has been playing with the number four shirt so far and and making a good deal of it. But 
But there is something that's a recurrent theme that the club just can't buy. I mean, there was Ghana Gay who came in as well, who suddenly was, you know, not given either not given the credit, not given the opportunity, or just there's something about when you put on that shirt, you have to be 10 times better. First point, I can't believe you just put Milan Bishovac and Sergio <laughs> Ramos in the same sentence. Mis- Milan Bishovac <laughs> was the first... <laughs> Of the of the number four of the Qatari era. <laughs> well, okay. So let's move on. Um, I'm a French champion I in 2013. It's quite, it's, it, it's, it's quite ridiculous. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. It's quite ridiculous, isn't it? Surely, um, everybody expects these players to just move seamlessly, right? Fabian Ruiz. He's obviously a very very good player. He's obviously a very good player. Carlos Soleil is obviously a very good player. Okay, these guys, are, these guys are quality players, but they've moved from different leagues, different styles of football, and and let's not forget. And I think everybody and many many people do, and even us, we even we do. These guys are human beings. They've moved country. They've moved culture. They've moved, maybe not necessarily into a different language, given there's so many Spanish speakers in the in the dressing room, but they're still in the rest of their life. They're in France. And it's, think about it yourself. If you're sitting out there listening to this and saying, oh, these boys are paid so much money, et cetera, et cetera. Think about it yourself. Moving job to another country, to a culture you don't know, where you don't necessarily know anybody. I mean, maybe they know one or two players in, in, the, in the squad, but they don't have any friends. They don't have any family around them. We don't know the personalities of these guys. Maybe they're, they're, they're very close to their families and, and, and need them with them as well and haven't been able to do that. There's a, there's a whole set of parameters that go way, way beyond the, the, the football pitch. And I think we do place hugely unrealistic expectations at times on players to immediately adapt. Now, I don't say that they, they shouldn't adapt within a few months, but, I mean, it's been the start of the season was, was August. We've had a World Cup in between. Yes, Fabian Ruiz has, has, has not been great, but he will be. Yes, maybe at PSG, you don't have the time to, to, to adapt. But that's because the media builds up this, this image that, well, they, they're coming into a great team and they're, they're good players and they should adapt straight away. I don't, and, and maybe that puts pressure on the club and maybe the club at times caves into that pressure because the fans read the media. The, 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 they don't listen to the club who says, or the player who says, I need just a little bit more time. They see the money. They see the, the rest of the team and they think, oh, well, these guys, it's just football. They should be able to do it. So I, 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 think, it's, it's hugely, I think it's hugely unrealistic expectations for somebody just to come in and just to hit the grounds, hit the ground running. Of course, that's what they all want to do. It's not like they're not trying, but sometimes it's, it's, it's somewhat more complicated than that. Andy, anything to add on the on on what you saw? I mean, there's also Renato Sanchez, who's another one. Pablo Sarabia are a little yeah. higher up the pitch, but there are players who you know should be featuring. This. The competition for spots should be incredible, and yet there is a clear, clearly defined starting eleven in this side. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the problems. I mean, um, I was thinking thinking that when Ian was talking, I was thinking if 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 you had a midfield three now of let's say Danilo Pereira, Marco Verratti, and Renato Sanchez, let's just say. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And then you've got Vitinha in reserve and Carlos Soler in reserve and so on. Of course, it's, it's, it's great quality. 
Um, I think one of the issues is that a player like Car- and Carlos Soler is the one I keep thinking of because, uh, you know, he's been, I think he's been quite heavily criticised. I think um, the, the the French media have not been too impressed by Carlos Soler. And as Christophe Galti keeps saying, you know, because he came in right at the end of the transfer window, he's not had time to adapt to the way the team plays and all the rest of it. He's actually scored a few goals, scored four goals, including a very important goal uh, on Friday. But he is a real top-level footballer, as as Ian said. You know, he was a very important player for Valencia, playing in La Liga. He's come to a different league where it's physical and all these things that Ian has said. And I think it's also worth saying as well that, as you say, there is there is a very clearly defined starting eleven, which means that the other guys like Soler, like Sarabia, uh, like even Renato Sanchez, they're coming in because because maybe... So they're playing when Neymar, Mbappe and Messi are not there, for a start. So the team, by definition, is not as good. And they're expected to raise the level to 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 you know to the same heights, and that's very difficult to do. And if after an hour of a game, Carlos Soler has not had a great game, well, he gets taken off. And I know from my own experience that when you when you play football, and and you you play maybe half an hour or an hour, and then you get taken off, you feel like well, you've not been able to, and that you need that time to be able to develop your game. And and you you know you need to. You, it's like when anybody starts a job, they have to learn on the job in a way. A footballer has to learn on the pitch with their teammates, and and but as Ian says, you do not get the time, and that more more globally that means that you'll get shipped out after a season, because in the little time you've had on the field, you've not been able to quite get to the level expected. So I think it's a problem for a player like Carlos Soler, and uh, he's the example I keep coming to. A really, really, really good footballer, but you know I, I'm thinking now is is he going to still be at PSG next season? Which is an absurd thing to be thinking. So. You know, there are lots of issues there. And, and and of course, they are a different team when they have the big boys back. And as you say, in the next round, they're going to be playing against lower league opposition, possibly this Pays de Cassel team from the sixth tier who come up from near near Dunkirk, near the Belgian border. It'd be a huge event for them if, if it was, if, if, if they were PSG's opponents. So that will be another game in which the big boys will likely be rested because as I touched on the last time I was on the podcast, Christophe Galtier decided not to rest Kylian Mbappe and Neymar straight away after the World Cup. So the Cup games are the chance for them to get the rest, which they really, really need. And at the moment, as long as they're getting through to the later rounds in the Cup, then then there's no, there's no need to panic. They might have to be rested also because PSG are almost certainly heading to Saudi Arabia for an all-star game against uh, Saudi Arabian League All-Stars on the 19th of January. So it could be just three days before the round of 32 Cup games. So... It'll be interesting to see which squad they take there. Do they take a, a stronger squad than will play in the round of 32 yeah. of the French Cup for, I, for an exhibition game in Saudi Arabia? I did see, and, I, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have any confirmation on this because um, I, I, it's a report I saw in, in, in the Sports Daily L'Equipe on Friday. They suggested that, that if, if PSG get through, which of course they have since done, that that, that, that Cup game in the next round will be played on the Monday um, in a couple of weeks' time, so that they had a couple of extra days to recover from their trip to Saudi Arabia, and um, well, I, I don't really know what to say about that. But anyway, yeah, that's um, that's that's apparently the plan. Final note on that: it could be Lionel Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo one more time, though, which uh, is quite an amazing thing to think of. Just uh, two weeks after Messi has won the World Cup and Cristiano has signed for the the Saudi League, it's like they all knew it was coming. Ian. One more cup game because we're not going to spend all day chatting about the cup, even though there were some fantastic matches. Let's chat about Leon though, because they're a side we've spoken a lot about them in the league this year. They've been 
up and down, more down than up, change of coach. Laurent Blanc is really struggling to 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 turn things around there. He's being very upfront about it. He's being very frank and honest in the media, saying, "Look, this is this is a huge job. This is not one where you can click your fingers and just have an electric shock treatment or suddenly turn things around. This is uh, the the problems that this club run deep. We know they've just changed owners, or that the the ownership uh, change of ownership is now in motion at last. But what did you make of their match against Mess, where they they managed to get up, and again, it was a side with uh players rested and young kids coming through exactly i mean you pretty much summed it up then it it was again it was a very up and down performance and it wasn't particularly convincing um they didn't have a particularly easy tie it was against mets relegated from from league and last season pushing from promotion this season as our bordeaux as you mentioned uh, i mentioned earlier bordeaux doing pretty well sitting in second messer in sixth just outside the the, the the promotion the automatic promotion places of which there's only two remember because uh, four teams go down to come up to cut began to to eighteen teams next season but Leon were Leon had a back four they had Damien de Silva who's thirty four out of contract playing at left back centre he's a centre back playing at left back but then they had Sinali Diamande twenty one Castello Luceva twenty and Sile Cumbedi seventeen that was their back four. They did actually play pretty well. Uh, Lukeba having a hand in the in the in in the own goal that that, that won it for them. Uh, Bradley Barkula, he he made a first start of the season. A lot of talk about how he wanted to leave and get playing time by 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 joining a club on loan. Um, he's he's only twenty as well. Got an got got the first goal. His first goal actually, senior goal for for Leon. Aside, peppered with youth, you could perhaps forgive them for for, for being a little bit inconsistent, a, a, a little bit unsure of them of themselves. They still had Moussa Dembele up front, uh, wasn't particularly impressive in place of Alexandre Lacazette, who wasn't risked until late on due to a bit of a hamstring nickel. But there's there's there seems to be so much work at Lyon, and it again it seems to be the same job. It seems to be the same job that Peter Boss had. It's the same job that Bruno Genesio had before him and, and Salvino, albeit in the nine games that he had. I mean, how ridiculous was that to have nine games and then get get fired for a, for a, a squad that has been underperforming based on their talent for, for season upon season upon season upon season. It does seem now that Blanc is, hopefully he gets the backing that he needs and the backing that he, he needs seems to be, okay, we're going to trim this squad down Lots of talk about Roman Fairv leaving, uh, Jeffrey Adelaide. There's probably there's probably quite a few others who will leave. Usem Awa even being talked about and moving to 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 Roma. Um, and in, in, interestingly, Usem Awa very close to playing for Algeria now. Apparently, after earning a, a single cap for France in a friendly, could now it looks now he's going to play for Algeria. Um, there's just so much work for for Blanc. He said after the game, there's the attitude to improve. But not only that, I mean, if you're having to improve the attitude of your squad, that says something. And it, it, it and what it says is probably a four-letter word, and it's not very good. Because you, if, if, if footballers don't have the right attitude, it doesn't matter how much, how much talent they've got, they're not going to perform. And I think that pretty much sums up how Leon have been for see, a number of seasons now, five, six seasons. 
Well, they did get the win. They did get through to the next round, but it has been. And you t- you talk about those players that they've brought in, that they've loaned out. They've brought in, in the case of Jeffrey and Adelaide, brought him back again after after serious injury and a, and a good loan spell with, with Lance, but unable to, to really provide any spark. Roman Fev, another one. Why are they... Is it is it something to do buying the wrong players that aren't fitting the mold, buying talented players that they think can do the job, Andy, and then just that aren't performing, they're misfits. Yeah, um, well, once again, to come to come back to a point that was made uh, on on the last podcast that uh, you know saying that well, it's it's on the players, not not on the coach. Now you see, I fundamentally I disagree with that because I think that you can't you can't just say oh we, it's a why do we keep changing the manager? It's all down to the players. Well, well, no. I mean, foot, footballers are under a manager and it is the manager's responsibility to get the best out of them, right? Now, there's no doubt that anybody who plays for Lyon is a very, very good footballer. If the manager can't get the best out of them, you have to find somebody else. It, that's how it works. And beyond that, um, it, is, it is down to the, the, the sporting director, the, the management of the club who's, who buys and signs the players uh, it is up to them to, to get the right profile of player. That doesn't just mean you sign a good footballer because, you know, if you're working at Lyon, then you've got to pick a player who's capable of playing at that level. But you also have to pick the right personality. You know, all these things off the field that Ian talked about relating to the guys arriving at PSG, they are very relevant things. You know, what's the guy like in the dressing room? What's his private life like? I remember speaking to Damian Komoli, um a few years ago before he went to Toulouse in his role as president there talking about you know how how his approach to signing players lots of talk about you know Damian Komoli Toulouse uh working on using data to sign players but also just you know not not so much looking at videos of a player but rather looking you know studying their background their family life and all these things now these things are all very important but if you bring the players in like you can't just say well it's all it's all down to the players they have to do better like, no the the people who sign the players need to sign different players and need to think about the way they're signing them and the manager needs to get the best out of the players. Now, clearly, Peter Bosch wasn't doing that. Uh, his predecessors were not doing that. Bruno Genesio did a decent job at Lyon, actually. Uh, but there are, there are problems that run deep at the club. You can't just say, oh, the, 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 you know, the, the players have got to do things better. There are people there whose job it is to bring the players in and get the best out of the players when they're there. Being a manager is a very, 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 very difficult job, <laughs> not least because they're so scrutinised. Laurent Blanc needs a bit of time and probably does need to change some of the players, but he also needs to get the best out of the players he has. And that means coaching the players. It means it is his job to change the attitude of the players. Do do you see what I mean? It's not just about saying the players that have the right attitude. It's his job to do that. So, you know, these these things are all, they're they're all interlinked, but um, there's no question that Leon have talented footballers. I mean, Ian talks about the defence that played in the cup tie. That's the same defence that played in the league game last weekend against Clermont. It's not like they just brought these guys in for for the cup tie. They they have they have a bit of imbalance in their squad. It's also down to the fact that Nicolas Taliafico had some time off after the World Cup. Malo Gusto's injured. These things can happen to a squad. But you know there are problems at Lyon. They are an underperforming team. This is not new. This has been the case at Lyon for fifteen years. You know so. It, the the decline at Lyon has been has been very sad. In that in that case, Andy, don't you have to? I mean, yes, you have. For me, in that case, you have to question the players, sure. surely, because they're generally the con. They're generally yeah. the constant, yeah. Because the the of yeah. course the coach the coach has to get the best out of the players. But I know, but I mean, but Ian, you can't but Ian, what, force, what I'm, you can't force the players to change 
to change their attitude. They have to also realize they're adults, they're professionals, that yeah. they should be performing better. They should be running more. They should be putting in more effort. No, they should but be what, training harder. But I'm just, what, what, I'm, what I'm I mean, what I'm saying is that you, it's not as simple as saying the players need to be doing better. If, if you see that as the coach or the sporting director or the president, then you need to, to bring in the players who will have the right attitudes. And, and I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially, I essentially I'm agree. agreeing with what you're saying, but I'm just saying that the, 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 the people who are responsible for that are the coach and the people above the coach. The, the, the players are not responsible mm. for that. I, I agree with both of you. I think at, at some point in a well-oiled club, the Bucks has to stop somewhere. And ultimately, that's with the owners, if you like, because they're right at the top of the, the club structure. They're the ones that choose the coach. They're the ones that listen to the coach and say, yes, I need a sporting director. Yes, we need these people. Yes, we need to create this, this culture, this environment within the club. We need to bring certain players in, all of that. But at some point, the buck has to stop somewhere. And in a well-oiled club, like what Andy is saying, everything is, is interlinked. And, and you're going to bring in players and create an environment in which they want to excel and that, Ian, they want to train harder, like you're saying, that they want to show their best attitude. And, and all of this, I mean, we're talking about 18-year-old kids who have been told they're great. You need to work on them psychologically, you know, a 24-year-old, a 34-year-old who's just won the World Cup and is coming back now to, to, to play, having finally got the last trophy he was missing. Paris Saint-Germain have to be very careful to make sure that they have, and with him, it's a, with Messi, it's a mature person, but they have to have the club environment that exists to get the best out of him, knowing that he could come back with, having just achieved every single thing he wanted to achieve, and now they have to get the best out of him to keep winning, and with Bayern Munich coming up. And, and ultimately, people will say, bah, Messi can do whatever he wants now. Like you could say with a, a 16-year-old kid, he's just a... He's just a 20-year-old kid. He's just had his own first kid or, you know, he's, he's, whatever's happened, he's moved house. He's just been paid a million euros. Ultimately, the buck has to stop somewhere where, and this is the big clubs are the ones that manage this the best. They have a solid environment and structure where they anticipate, they, they, they look forward, they, they prepare for certain things, and they create an environment where perhaps the player isn't even aware that they're being managed. To, to to excel, Andy. Yeah, so sorry, sorry. Just just uh, maybe the final word on this. I don't know. Maybe move on. But um, I mean, the the example is Lens and Lens. The, the the cup game I was at at the weekend, where they were very professional and they won the game because some of their big boys who were rested came off the bench. Siko Fofana, Florian Sotoka. But they 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 are a club who, as as we talked about, as again, you guys talked about in the last podcast. They're very well run. And they anticipate the departures of players. They did that last summer brilliantly when they lost Kalimuendo and Dukure and Jonathan Close. They signed new players. They had them all signed in time for the return to pre-season training. There was none of this with Carlos Soler coming in on the last day of the transfer window. He needs time to adapt. They had them all in there for the start of pre-season training at the end of June, beginning of July. They were ready to go. And then again in the in the January window, they 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 signed a new fullback, a new right wing back, uh, in November. Julien Le Cardinal, who was playing in the second division and who made his first start at the weekend, and, and he was very impressive. And he's had, a, he's had that time over the six-week break to, to get to know his new teammates. And this is all about management from the top down. Franck S has done a wonderful job, as you've said before. Of course, they lost their sporting director, Florent Gisolfi, to Nice, and it will be interesting to see how that affects the club's recruitment moving forward. But 
they are an example of a well-run club and Lyon are an example at the moment of not a very well-run club. Lyon have the chance to bounce back. They'll have something of a derby match in the next round of the Cup. They are away to Chambéry. Uh, there are a couple of all Ligue 1 clashes. Bastia, well, Bastia is not Ligue 1, but a big club who have been to Cup finals before against Lorient. Match of the round is probably Marseille versus Rennes. Uh, in the next round, there's Brest versus Lens. Paris Saint-Germain will be up against one of Saint-Anne, Waskahal, or Le Pays de Cassel. So there's still a bit of football to be played before we find out who Paris Saint-Germain will be up against. Um, Toulouse, Ajaxio is another one. Lille take on Pau, who were giant killers from the second division as well. So plenty to look forward to. The final of the Coupe de France will be on the 29th of April, 2023. Time for our Deja Who. Now, there were, we've had two clues already in this month of January. One was end of December, month of January. They're all linked somehow, so you have to tell us each weekly answer, but then on the, in a couple of weeks' time, tell us the final clue that links all the answers together. So here is today's, and um, I think this is a good one. It requires a little bit of uh, scratching the head and maybe a bit of research, but uh, it's a good one. Well, we'll see. Well, I won't say any more. Always at risk of giving it away. Here we go. Deja Who. Emerging from one of the world's great youth academies, I was part of the side that wrote the legend of my first ever club and also my national team, for whom I still hold the World Cup scoring record. I won two domestic league titles and two Champions League trophies before even setting foot in France where I helped my new team reach another European final. Another move in France saw me crowned Ligue 1 Foreign Player of the Year before claiming my one and only French Championship trophy. During my career, I may have played second fiddle to two of the greatest number 10s in history for club and country, but I also caught the eye and my notoriety enjoyed a resurgence in recent years after a pop song in my honour. Who am I and who had a hit song about me? So this is mixing a little bit of French popular culture as well. Anyone? It was long. Good player. Good player. (laughs) All right. Getting a couple of shakes of the heads. I've got a great quote from him. Maybe I'll give this to you as well, just for... This is when he arrived in France, okay? So he arrived in France and he wanted to go and see the stadium. And the the club owners took him out and took him to the best restaurant in town and wined and dined him and took him to see a few of the sites. And then uh, said, this is what it's like here. He signed and the next day he woke up and he said, now please, can I go and see the stadium? And this is what he said. The next day, I finally got to the stadium. What a shock I had. If I'd seen it before, I never would have signed. But I never regretted my decision either. So there you go. That's quite cool. <laughs> if you know the answer, send us an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on all your platforms. Um, you can get involved in the Twitter conversation at league1 underscore English or League One World, and of course there's the official website, LeagueOne.com, as well for all your latest League 1 news. 
Now, I was planning a little bit of a transfer chat, but I think we've pretty much done it now, having talked about uh, two big clubs anyway. There are a couple of moves we could still have. There's Ruslan Malinovsky, who looks like he's on his way from Atalanta, the Ukrainian international, to Marseille. Um, lots of clubs looking to uh, get the services of Azadine Unai from, from Angers, of course, the Algerian midfield star. We've spoken a bit about the players that could be leaving Lyon. There's talk that someone like Pablo Sarabia could be leaving Paris Saint-Germain as well in, in the search for, for playing time. Perhaps quickly, just Andy, a quick word, because I know you're a big fan of Dango Watara, um, Terra Moffi as well at, at Lorient. Surely these guys are suited to the English game. Certainly Terra Moffi must be suited to a, to a big move across the channel sooner rather than later. We talk about it every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, it's it's um, it's a market that the uh, very well-off English clubs are always going to be looking at at this time of year. And one of the the challenges, especially for a team like Lorient, but actually for pretty much every league on club, is to try and fend off uh, that interest in the January window, which is a horrible time of year for just about any club. Because if you're looking to sign a player, it's not the it's not the ideal time to be buying somebody. And you, teams who are selling, well, for a club like Lorient, they don't want to be losing their best players now. They can plan. If it's in the summer, of course, they expect to eventually lose Terry Moffi and Dongo Watara, who's, who's that bit younger. Um, but they don't want it to happen now. They want it to happen in the summer when they've achieved their objective for the season, when they perhaps got a new signing lined up. So now's not the time. But if the right offer comes in, it's very hard for them to refuse that. And and I suppose one thing I would say is that um, perhaps not the case for Terry Moffi because... Um, He's he's a, a later stage in his career. Maybe he could slot straight into an, an English team or I don't know a German team, and 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 make an impact for them in the second half of the season. I'm not sure that Dongo Watara, if he were to move now, would be making an immediate impact if he went somewhere else. So I'm not sure what the benefit in the short term would be for him. Maybe in the medium term, of course, and certainly in the long term. And for Lorient in the short term to lose a player like Dongo Watara would be a big blow. I mean, they had that wonderful start to the season. They then fell away quite a bit uh, in the run-up to, to the World Cup break. And, and it's looking like they'll probably, you know, sort of revert more to mid-table, which would still be a fantastic uh, outcome for them this season. But they don't want to lose a guy like him now. They want to um, maybe see what see what the offers are, see what kind of money they could make for him, and hopefully keep hold of him until until at least the end of the season, I would say. That's it for our Coupe de France chat and a... And a, and a... We'll look at what could happen in the transfer market, but we've only got time now to look ahead to Wednesday's matches. Uh, so Ligue 1 returns in about 48 hours' time, and then another full round on the weekend as well. We're going to have a quick look at both of them. Ian, to you first, is there anything that's jumping out and catching your eye? I particularly like Nantes-Lyon for, for turning back the clock 20-odd years to when this was this was champions versus wannabes and, and future champions and... And a and a and a big one for the the league on nostalgic. <laughs> it is, isn't it? They're not not with the, the the champions, the last champions before Leon took the the seven league titles, weren't they? And uh, not were you know at the, at that stage were real challenges, were real challenges to Leon in the early stages of, of of their domination. I think for me, you've got to go to the Alliance Riviera, and it's Nice Montpellier. Um, it's perhaps not the most attractive fixture in terms of the, the two sides form right now, but I think that that's a massive one for Nice. That's a massive one for Lucien Favre, um, assuming he's still in place uh, come, come, Wednesday, come Wednesday evening. 
He may not be if they lose that one. Um, they've they've actually only lost one. I think it's one of the last seven. Nice. It was the last in in the league last time out. Of course, though the cup, it just it closes off that avenue to Europe, which is a relatively a relatively easy avenue. They got to the final last season, hugely disappointed to be beaten by to be beaten by Nantes, and they must look on pretty enviously with Nantes hosting Juventus in the in in, in the Europa League and Nice. You know, you know the Conference League. It's it's it's, it's not the same. And it's, that's massive. That's that's that is must win, must win for Lucien Favre. Um, otherwise, surely, surely a change is coming, and and, and very quickly. Andy, Paris Saint Germain are at home to Angers at nine p.m. on Wednesday. Marseille away to Troyes. This is one of those rounds where there's not so much a top of the table blockbuster, but it's more there's a lot to lose for certain clubs in this round. I mean. Basically, any side in the bottom half of the table is in real danger of of being in the relegation fight the whole way. Yes, but certainly from um, from Toulouse down because they're twelfth and they're only six points above the bottom four. Obviously, weekly reminder that that four teams go down at the end of this season. Um, I mean, Angers going to PSG. They've lost their last nine league games, which is um, which is not the greatest run of form to be in when you head to play. I know they won in the cup, but that was on penalties against Strasbourg. Uh, I mean, that game is is interesting because. Well, will will Lionel Messi uh, return? Will Neymar play? Uh, will Kylian Mbappe play? I presume that that he probably will. Um, and will Azadine Unai play? You know, another of the the World Cup stars. So that will be an interesting game. And and then so you've got top against bottom. Then you've got second bottom against second top with Strasbourg playing Lens, which is also a really interesting game. Uh, Strasbourg still just one win this season. And I look back, I think back to Angus Tarod's um, pre-season. <laughs> prediction when at the time I nearly spat out my shredded wheat um, when he said that he thought they were going to finish in the Champions League places and here we are um, in uh, coming up to the midway point in the season and they've had just one win still so you know really big game for them I mean I think possibly the one of the standout games actually is Lorient against Monaco we just talked about Lorient uh, before when you asked me about Dongo Watara, they've, they've slipped to sixth place. They're just two points behind Monaco in fifth. And Monaco, of course, uh, coming off the back of that cup exit, which is a big blow for them because <clears throat> I know you didn't linger on it long, but Monaco have, given that they, I would say, have, have sought to be the, the second club in the French game with the money that obviously came in with Dimitri Rubolov left, the Russian owner, and, and, and all the ambition they've shown... They were champions in 2017, but they haven't won any other silverware. I know they got to Champions League semi-final. They got to a couple of Coupe de la Ligue finals when that competition was still on the go. They were Coupe de France finalists two seasons ago when they lost behind closed doors to PSG. They haven't won any other any other silverware apart from the league. So look, going out of the cup is a big blow for them, and um, they've got to they've got to bounce back from that in a, in, in a situation where they're still very much playing catch up with the teams above them after a slow start to the season. Playing catch-up and doing it quite well are Lens as well, who on Saturday in uh, in the second round of the week of Ligue 1 action entertain Auxerre. Now, Lens could have found themselves 10 points behind Paris Saint-Germain if uh, they'd lost the game against them last time out. They defeated Paris Saint-Germain, a first loss of the season for, for Galtier's side. And Lens are just four points behind. Now, Lens take on Auxerre. Marseille-Lorient, Lyon-Strasbourg, but at the other end, on Sunday night, the final match of the round, Rennes take on PSG. 
Now, that is a big game as well because Rennes may have lost Martin Terrier. I haven't heard the latest on that. Was that a, a, the knees gone for Martin Terrier? So that's a, a terrible loss for them. But Rennes are aside, capable of, of causing another upset with a history of causing upsets against PSG. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of quality in, the, in that squad. Andy mentioned the, the decent job that Bruno Genesio did at Lyon, and he, he certainly did. He's doing a pretty decent job at Rennes as well, and um, and and certainly turned them into one of the more more attractive sides to watch in 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 Europe at times. I think Benjamin Bourigeaux playing really really well. A, a, a goal for him again, and a, a big 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 performance against Bordeaux in the cup. Um, yeah, that's a, that is that that has historically been a, a tough fixture for Paris Saint Germain. I usually don't go along with. You know what happened uh, 27 years ago is going to affect what 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 happens what happens today, but certainly looking at that one on on current form, that history could could well continue. Well, before we look any further to the weekend's matches, we should wait for Wednesday's games uh, to give us a bit more of a form guide. So we'll we'll bring the curtain down on this podcast there, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me, Andy Scott. It's a pleasure as always. Pleasure, Robbie. Thanks very much. Enjoy the sunshine. I will do. I will do. Well, I'm off to bed soon, but then I'll be up <laughs> Tuesday morning for a, for a trip to the beach, perhaps. Who knows? And then Perth versus Brisbane on Tuesday evening for me. There you go, gentlemen. Ian, thank you very much. Enjoy the trip back to Paris. Pleasure. Will do. And for all of you at home, keep enjoying, keep listening to... Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast, will be back next Monday, as always, to review the weekend's action and look ahead to what's coming. Catch us on Ligue1.com, Ligue1 underscore English, Ligue1 World, or send us an email and ask us a question or two at Ligue1podcast at gmail.com. From me, Robbie Thompson, and all the team, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.